Well, good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. I'm Marcus Grodi, your host for this program, and this is being brought to you by the Coming Home Network International. And so thank you for joining us on this podcast. You're, if you're listening to us, you're probably listening to us on the internet. And so what a powerful uh, medium our Lord has given to us uh, for evangelization. Uh, every technology is, is a gift, but it's got to be used rightly or it becomes a curse. And so we hope that this is an encouragement to you uh, for your growth of faith, but also uh, maybe this is something you tell someone else about. So if, again, it's deepinscripture.com. If you want to find all the old archived programs of Deep in Scripture, if you go to chnetwork.org, you'll find out about our work. And if you have any questions about this program, you can send those to questions at deepinscripture.com. You can, of course, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Now, this particular series of programs in Deep in Scripture uh, we're focusing on hard verses. And this is not so much verses that uh, may have opened our hearts to the Catholic faith. They're, they're verses that we recognize back when we were in our former traditions for the guests and I, that they were hard to fit into our tradition, into our understanding of Scripture, understanding of Christ, church. Uh, and we recognize that other people had different views of these verses. So how do we understand them? How do we interpret them? So, uh, and then we talk about how we came to understand the verses themselves. And often it's not so much getting that key uh, secret to unlock the verse, but often it's understanding ourselves uh, and our need to be humble and awaken to the mercy of God and the guidance of this church. So thank you for joining us on this program. I am extremely excited to uh, have as my guest today a wonderful friend, Steve Wood. The only problem is that we never see each other. He's chosen to live a long way from me. I, I'm not sure if it's because of me or whatever, but uh, Steve, welcome to Deep in Scripture. Marcus, it's great to be with you. It truly is. We, uh, we went to the same seminary, but not together. You heard I was coming and got out of there as soon as you could, right? No. <laughs> I think we overlapped a little bit. I started in 97. No. That's when I started. No, really? no, 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 no. <laughs> I, that's a post-60 comment. I started in 78. Okay. Yeah, we were there, I think, 80, 81, somewhere in there. Okay, so we were, yeah. at the, we were there at the same time. So if you yeah. were married then, right? I was married. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you and the Hans uh, and maybe Jerry Maditix, I think, were all mm -hmm. over in the married student housing, and <clears throat> I was in the single housing. Okay. Yeah, Kimberly and I started the first pro-life seminarians group at Gordon-Conwell. Yeah. You know, I remember when I was with her in a, um, a dean, was it dean, I think it was dean Borgman's class on modern issues and the, the issue was contraception and she was the one that that led that discussion and it for the first time it even became an issue to me i never even thought about it as an evangelical so i think you guys were ahead of the curve on me on that one well i can remember hearing about your class before the end of the lunch hour the very day kimberly gave her presentation <laughs> <laughs> it did kind of go around campus rather quickly yeah well well, Steve, it's great to have you join us. And uh, just for those 
that uh, are not aware of Steve, uh, before we jump into it, Steve, take a second and tell the folk what you do and your website and let them know ways that they can contact you, if you would. Okay. Uh, I'm the president of Family Life Center. We, the three Fs we concentrate on are faith, family life, and particularly fatherhood. We believe that dads are critical for those two first Fs. You can reach us at dads.org, pretty simple. Uh, I've got a free uh, monthly newsletter, goes around the world. Just go to dads.org, free sign up. We can stay in touch that way and do conferences, have a couple books for Christian fathers and also work in various areas of marriage and parenting and the whole issue regarding really forming the faith in children and teens and young adults within the family circle. Yeah, you, you remind me of what you do, Steve, and it, it almost makes me want to choose verses dealing with fatherhood for our hard verses today because I'm one that, because of when I grew up and lived, born in, in uh, the early 50s, teenager in the 60s, uh, and into the 70s, college and, and all of that, and brought up by uh, a very feminist mother. Loved her dearly, but I didn't realize how much of a feminist she was. And I'm probably like many men my age that have grown up in, with an insecurity about fatherhood, about what our role is in the family, what our authority is in the family, because we were brought up in an environment where that was constantly attacked by culture. And in an, a, a, my parents were fine, but there was no, my dad didn't have an authority figure in that family. So now I'm a father and a grandfather and trying to figure out how to live that out uh, is, is tough today. And I'm sure that's something you deal with all the time. Oh, absolutely. In fact, uh... One of the illustrations I use in men's conferences is a totally forgettable movie entitled George of the Jungle. It's kind of a Tarzan comedy, but George has no concept of how to court, what marriage is, and it's like George of not the jungle, but of New York City, of L.A., <laughs> of Chicago, because our society has been very effective in eroding healthy pictures of all roles for children, for teens, young adults, married folks, parents, it's eroded. And so it's almost uh, starting over, except one nice thing I think we have as Catholics are saints, particularly St. Joseph. It's a great place to start because yeah. we don't have to go to one of the founding fathers, of the United States, as great as they were but we have an actual icon of what it means to be a Catholic dad. And you can start there. Yeah, when I was an evangelical, you know, I converted to faith to Christ in my 20s and then became a, a staunch evangelical and went to seminary, uh, later married uh, after seminary. Um, I became very convicted in Paul's passage in Ephesians about as a husband, I am to love my wife as Christ loved the church, be willing to give myself for her. So that gives me the image of a husband that understands servant leadership and being willing to give everything for the wife. And then interpreted into Catholic terms, my goal, my goal is to get my wife to heaven and hope she, hopefully she'll put a good word in for me. 
you know, that that's me as a husband. Now, that's good as far as it goes. And I wish we had time. Maybe we should talk about this. But if and I'm not in this case, but if I were married to a woman that did not have a conviction, Catholic conviction, who instead of a giver was a receiver personality, then a husband could be in a situation, what do I do? You know, how, how do I live this marriage out if I'm with someone that only is a taker, only a giver, only a demander, only a person that orders or commands? Um, but there's that, that concept of you, you give. That's all we're told to give. Paul doesn't say, you know, surrender yourself for the good of your wife if she's a good wife or if she's a loving, caring, good or if she does her half of Ephesians 5, no, I'm only called, I'm only called to <laughs> right. do my half. But, you know, I think the human heart has been made for the roles described in Ephesians 5 and 6. I can remember, I, I've done one conference in Russia, and I asked my host to contact the media so we could get people from the community in. Well, I was there for my press interview, and this young woman comes in dressed in leather, and she took off her leather jacket, had a, a Che Guevara sweatshirt on, which she proudly displayed, has a beret on like a revolutionary. And then she kind of, because she knew I was doing a men's conference. And she said, did you come here to Russia to learn how to have equality between men and women and kind of went on some revolutionary stuff? And I said, actually, no, I, I don't do anything of that. I just came here to help men through the help of God love and nourish and cherish their wives. And she turned into a kitten and wanted <laughs> to hear what I was doing. You see, the human heart is made for these types of things. Yeah. And so I want audience, I wanted to just uh, talk a little bit about that. So you, you hear what Steve has to, has to tell you. If you go to his website, dads, dads.org. Correct. Right. Mm -hmm. You'll find out more about what Steve has to say and his newsletter and his tapes and, and books, and and it's very needed. You know, I, I was just spoke at a men's conference last weekend, Steve, up in Springfield, Massachusetts. I don't know if you've been there yet, but if you haven't, I'll put a good in, word in for you. Good. And I had this great feeling. I really feel that two of the, the best things going on in the Catholic Church right now are the men's conferences and women's conferences. I agree very, very much so. And... You know, uh, uh, sometimes there's a little bit of, of chirping by women if there's a men's conference. But, you know, 90% of the wives that I meet desperately want their husbands to kick into gear as a Catholic husband to be the at least attempting to follow in the footsteps of St. Joseph. And men need some space. They need to be challenged apart from their wives because the last thing they want is an elbow in the ribs. Like, did you hear that? Of course he, he heard that. But, you know, don't want to be embarrassed in the presence of their wives. And then also uh, the church in the United States, and I'll include Protestant churches, yep, yep. for the last 150 years have bypassed men. Yep. And as a result, you know, like when promise keepers took a, took off, it didn't meet in churches. It met in a football stadium because right. that was one of the last places in the United States that men felt comfortable as their turf. And so by carving out some space and a schedule and a men's conference like that is a good way to send a clear cycle 
a, a clear signal that the Catholic faith is for men and women, not just women. And, and yeah, wives will be so grateful for that. Right. And, and at the last conference, they said that they often would get women complaining about the men's conference. Sometimes they say, we want to come. Why can't we come to the men's conference? And, and we want to hear that speaker. And as a speaker, and you're a speaker, I want to say, right, look, right. I, I don't want any women in this room. I want the doors closed because I got some things to say to men that I want to freely say to these guys. Exactly. And we got to get on our knees, guys. We got to be driven to our knees in shame and then holiness and humility. And you and I got, we want to say that to guys. We don't want the women there to doing that. It changes the environment. Nothing negative about women, of course, but so that we can be better men. So I'm with you well, on you that, know, my friend. Marcus, I have to tell you this. I have been asked through the years, because see, we started St. Joseph's Covenant Keepers, which is the fatherhood aspect of the Family Life Center back in 1994. And I have been asked countless times, well, Steve, when are you going to start like a St. Joseph's Covenant Keepers for women? And my reply is, I already have. And I just shut up. And it takes them about 15 seconds. And then they go, oh, oh, I get it. I get it. I get it. Because the, literally the best thing I can do for Catholic women in the 21st century is exactly what you did at the men's conferences and what I try to do, because uh, that's the need of Catholic women today, if you ask me. The top, I'm not saying it's the only need, but uh, that's right at the top of the list. I love that verse from First Peter 3, 7, which you know by heart, because it's your thing. It says, likewise, you husbands... Live considerably, considerately with your wives, bestowing honor on the woman as the weaker sex, since you are joint heirs of the grace of life, in order that your prayers may not be hindered. You know, Marcus, I hate that verse. <laughs> we, we are blessed with a, a little Eucharistic chapel here at the Family Life Center. And, you know, if Karen and I ever have a, you know, like a rough morning, okay, and rather than patching things up, I come to work, go in the chapel. I wonder, you know, are my prayers actually reaching as high as the ceiling right now? Because, uh, you know, there is the interconnection. God wants to be involved in our lives and our marriages. And it's, it's a package deal. It's not like we go to church on Sunday and God stays there in the sanctuary. He's in the middle of our homes and our marriages. And that's a that's a tough verse. It in order tough. that your prayers not be hindered. How many places in the whole Bible do you find such a thing? And it's like in the domestic passage and from our first pope, no less. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's I mean, that's one of the reasons why I really believe in celibacy of the clergy, because I remember back on Saturday nights when I was getting ready the next morning to preach on love and Marilyn and I are having a knockdown drag out. Right, I'm right, sure that right. never happened to you. No, of course not. No. <laughs> well, the sun never went down on our anger. Never did. So you, We had a lot of miracles. You know, sometimes seven days the sun would stay up in our house. So you lived in northern Norway, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, listen, one thing I want to promise to the audience is that Steve's going to be back, and we're going to deal with the Ephesian passages about marriage. We're going to deal with other things. Can I have you back on that? Yeah, I'd love to do that. We're going to have yes, a special program. So. Yep. And we're going to deal with dads and fathers. We're going to look at the hard verses and talk about how, really how apart from the church, those verses can be misrepresented 
you know, and, and abused and taken too far and what they really mean. So, and sometimes, you know, I like your show as far as, you know, you are the only uh, group that I've gotten an email. Please send your hard verses, <laughs> usually, <laughs> you know, your favorite or the easy. But, you know, um, I remember once, just before I became a Catholic, I was having a whole, well, just a difficult time with the Blessed Mother. So I called Scott Hahn, which was a mistake. And he just said, <laughs> he says, the hardest is the best. Ha, ha, ha. And hung up. <laughs> but that's how it works with fathers. What looks yeah. like the hardest, and some people thinking they're being kind to people or helping families or helping husbands and wives go along, by skipping the hard verses, we're skipping the best. Yeah. Yeah. Why, yeah. Because even back in the Proverbs, you know, all those... Proverbs where it's father to son, father to son, mm -hmm. listen to my words. I mean, those are tough stuff. Right. And the father wants his son to grow up and be a man. Exactly. And, and that's why he's saying those things. All right. Well, let's get to the, some of the texts that we thought we were okay. going to do in the first place, my friend. So you picked as the first, 1 John 4, 19 and 10. And so let me ask you, let me, let me read those, Steve, if you would. And uh, I, I love First John. It's one of my absolute. I'm of the opinion that that the first letter of John is is the most spiritual and deep book of the New Testament. I, I just think he was he was on the seventh castle, Saint Teresa, Saint Therese, when he wrote this book. He, he he knew what he was talking about. As you know, when you learn New Testament Greek, this is the simplest book in the New Testament. This is where the babies start to translate, and yet this is the deepest well. Yeah, isn't yeah. that something? Just like Jesus, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it simple and deep. It really is deep. And some things that are hard, but you had chosen two verses. Let me read them. First night. Uh, 419. Uh, it's a very simple, very easy to memorize. We love because he first loved us. On the surface it sounds easy, but listen to what it says. We love because he first loved us. And then back to verse 10, same chapter. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the expiation for our sins. All right, my friend. So what's hard about that? Well, let's start um, uh, before I became a Catholic. Uh, we went to the same seminary. Right. They taught us wonderful things. It was really a tremendous education. Right. right. I came out as a young pastor um, thinking that uh, my congregation's main needs were to learn all the complicated things I had learned in seminary. And that really wasn't the case. <laughs> And it took me a span of about eight years into the pastorate until I came on to the realization that the hardest thing for a member of my congregation to do, and we had good folks who were trying to make an honest stab at living a Christian life. The hardest thing to do was to believe that God loved them, even though he knew them inside and out. He knew their thoughts, their actions, their past, their present, their marriages, everything. He knew it all. And very often, I just think the deepest, uh, hardest thing, you know, you, you, you talk to 
a Protestant or a Catholic and you talk about something hard to believe, like Trinity is hard to believe. Three persons, one God. I mean, <laughs> in a way, if you really understand it, it's incomprehensible to the human brain. And then you have things like the incarnation, God being born in a stable. Come on. You know, these are hard things. But I, I would still come back to this verse, 1 John four nineteen, that it's even harder to believe that God loves us simply because as a gracious, merciful Father, He has chosen to love us. And we think, and, and I, there's a lot of uh, what I call both front and back doors on this verse. Hmm. Uh, in evangelical circles, it's emphasized very strongly uh, the grace of God, that God accepts you by grace, not because of something you have done or not done. But I know, I know as a pastor, a former pastor, that there's a back door on this, that even though you hear this and can say this back and memorize certain phrases and such, that back door, it's still my performance. Yeah. It's still something that I do is the bottom line. If you're a Calvinist, it's because I believe Calvin's Institutes or the five points of Calvinism, <laughs> or if you're a Baptist, if you baptize the right way, or if you're a fundamentalist, maybe because you wear your skirt a certain length, or you don't do something, or you do something else, and there's a lot of back doors on this. And there ultimately comes down to can you really believe that God loves you? And I think this is the rub. And then, you know, I come into the Catholic Church and I see a, a, a massive misunderstanding of our faith yeah. because Protestantism is simple, but Christianity isn't. Right. Uh, Protestantism emphasizes the grace of God, and it's not by our works do we enter into a relationship with God. But the Bible's pretty clear that if you want to get to heaven, as a result of that relationship and the strength of it and abiding in Christ, you do good works from which the Bible says, okay, but it's very easy as Catholics, just as I saw in my Protestant congregation, to flip this. And, you know, there's a book that I love, and this is a uh, <laughs> unread book. It's less than 100 pages, but it was written by... Cardinal Ratzinger, who became Pope Benedict XVI, and of course Christoph Schornborn, primary writers of the Catechism, they said that the reason 62% of the Catechism emphasizes who God is, what God has done, and how he provides all that grace through the sacraments takes up 62% of the Catechism, and it comes first, and it has the most space because it's the most important. And only then does it start talking about our response to the commandments and the prayer. You know, Marcus, I have been thinking a lot, honestly, since the turn of the millennium and the cultural decay oh. and what are parents going to do. I mean, I'm a grandparent now. I'm thinking, what in the world will my grandchildren be facing in this world? And then you have both Protestant and Catholic circles you have close to a 60% washout of young adults. And I think it right goes right back to here because in one little verse, just a few words, we love because he first loved us. If we can experience the love of God and believe it, even though we're, we know we're undeserving, it unlocks the life of grace. Yeah. 
we can go to the Blessed Eucharist and come away full. And, you know, the book of Galatians is, is, a, um, is a book where Paul really criticizes those who are basically trying to earn their way to find a relationship with God. And the Holy Spirit is mentioned left, right, and center in the book of Galatians. But it only comes through faith. And faith not in—don't uh, get me wrong. We are to believe in the virgin birth and the Trinity and the Incarnation. But we also have to believe that God loves us. Yeah, and I dare say that's the, that's the bottom of the bottom line for what people, you know, maybe not even a lot of believers even bring it up to their conscious thoughts. But if we can keep that in front of us, that's one to write on several— <laughs> places and remind ourselves, particularly when we sin and mess up and, you know, there's supposed to be a year of mercy. Do we really believe that? You know, do the, we really, really believe that? You know? uh, Steve, so well said. I, you mentioned the word Eucharist. And it's interesting you said the word Eucharist, because what do you think? How many Catholics know what the word means? It's kind of, yep. you know, people that live in Corpus Christi having a clue. Oh, no. What, I didn't have a clue, like all these Catholic names. Yeah. Well, see, Thanksgiving is a response name. It's a response. You don't give thanks to somebody who hasn't given you something first. And our whole life, our whole, we don't pray in order that God accepts us. We pray. The catechism says it's a filial prayer. Yeah. Because we believe that Christ has come here to bestow the Father's love on us. As a result, he gives us his Holy Spirit. We're, you know, yeah. the, we're loved. And then we pray as a, uh, it's just a spontaneous yeah. act. It's not something we have to do to earn God's love. Because that, we just wear thin. And young people are wearing thin of trying to earn their way to God. With all the pressures in today's world, they need the fullness. And it comes from Right here, we love yeah. because he first loved us. Yeah, and when Christ summarizes, when he gets around in, in John 15 to summarize, okay, what are we to do? It's loving in response right. to what God has done. You know, the great commandment, love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. And then when he says you love, you love one another as I have loved you, again, as I loved you points to just what you're talking about. Exactly. Our model of living is modeling what he already did for us because of his, he did on the cross. You know, it's always looking back to what God has done. You know, another verse that reminds me of this, Stephen, that helps understand another hard verse is the one that we all know well, Ephesians 2, 8, when Paul writes, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not because of works, lest any man should boast. Now, I used to interpret that hard verse. I was a once saved, always saved Calvinist, that I would take that to say it's all grace uh, by faith, nothing because I'm due, I'm going to get to heaven. But that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about, he's writing to Christians who've already been saved out of their paganism, so Correct. it wasn't that God loved them back when they were pagans because they happened to do something good back when they were pagans. No, it was long before they did anything about God that God reached back by grace and loved them and brought them forward. That's what that verse is talking about. 
Exactly. And, you know, I really believe that as Catholics, you know, this book, the Bible, is our book, too. And thank, you know, and the Protestants can thank the Catholic faith for preserving it through the years. But really, you know, you have to make these yours because to me, there's a default um, message that goes on in our brains. We're unlovable. And what what is Satan? The accuser. And our consciences accuse us. And we need to have the input of the Word of God in, and make it our own. And faith comes by the hearing. We hear this. And there's nothing more liberating to know that you're loved. And we were talking about fathers a moment ago and, and, and everything. You know, it starts with this. This is where everything starts. Because you're going to, going to try as a... Uh, husband to sacrificially love your wife on your own steam. The only I only have two words for you: good luck, because uh, you don't have it. You know you yeah. you need it from outside, and it comes from relationship with Christ, and that overflow is what we live on in our families. Steve, I'm going to read a, a text to you, scripture text, okay. what I'm sure you know by memory, and I'm going to leave a word out, and I want you to see if you can pick up what word I'm leaving out. Okay. Ephesians. <laughs> 4, verse okay. 6. Okay. Paul writes, Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. What did I leave out? Did you catch it? <laughs> you caught me. I don't know. I left out, I'll be read it the correct way. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Oh, with thanksgiving. Let yeah. your request be made known to God. I mean, that the core of thanksgiving is recognizing the verse you've yeah. chosen, that God loved us, and it's exactly. the foundation to our prayers, everything. Well, and it comes back to the same thing, because it could be the trap. Uh, God loves me, if I'm an evangelical, because I have my quiet time in the morning. <laughs> You're a Catholic. God loves me because I just prayed the rosary. No, God loves you. Because he loves you. And as a result, you pray, you give thanks. But if you don't have the thanksgiving, if you don't have the response to love, then it turns into kind of a, I'm trying to earn my way with God. In other words, um, you know, you're reversing that verse in First John, that because God loves us because we love him. And then as a result, he loves us back. No, that's not... He's the great prime mover, not only of the universe, but of love in our lives. All right, my friend. It looks like this is the only verse we're going to handle today because i got a couple more questions dealing with this verse. Okay. Okay. Now, and this is what makes this verse even more difficult. Let's look at this verse again. We love because he first loved us. Love. What does it mean God loves us? Does he feel good for us? Is that why he chose me and not somebody else? Because he loves me? Does that mean, therefore, God loves me, chose me above others? And so how do I interpret that? I was a Calvinist that believed that God chose some to go to heaven and some to go to hell. Does that mean God loved some and didn't love others from the beginning of time? So the, one of the hardness of this verse is understanding God's love and how we define it. And then the second part is, okay, I, if I, how am I to love? 
I don't feel it. Remember that old song, you know, I don't feel it anymore. You know, I think Barry Manilow wrote a song about that. So I don't love anymore, therefore, because I don't feel it. Uh, is it merely just a choice? You know, so uh, flesh out this, this verse for us. And okay. uh, my friend. <laughs> All right, well, you asked some hard questions. I'll just begin with this. When I was a Calvinist, uh, I can remember even a Gordon Conwell for uh, Dr. J.I. Packer when he was a visiting yes. professor. Right. I wrote a paper uh, for him, and we're not only talking about God's predestination, but I tried to put in temporal sequence his eternal decrees before time even began. <laughs> now, you just think of the logical contradiction of that. Trying to put a logical sequence to God's decrees in all eternity. Now, you know, I was 30 years old when I did that. Uh, now, uh, I'm a child. Amen. These things are just above me. Okay, yep. but I will tell you this, and this is something that actually I have learned through working with Catholic fathers. I started, uh, what shall I say? Uh, not very, I don't think very deep. It was just going to Catholic family conferences, speaking to Catholic wives who were wishing their husbands were there with them. And I decided to start working with Catholic dads. And as you know, anything you do in service to Christ, you get back tenfold. Yeah. And this is my tenfold. This is my tenfold over the last 22 years of working with Catholic fathers. If I would boil down Catholicism and the love of God uh, in the context we're talking about, and it's this, God is a father. If you turn to the catechism of the Catholic Church, the very first word, and you know, Cardinal Schornborn wasn't there flipping a coin, what should we start this thing with? You know, we gotta have a good opening. Now, on purpose, the first word of the catechism of the Catholic Church is the word father. And it, it's, I see it as an umbrella, yeah. uh, God the Father, and this is eternal life, that they may know you. And as you know, we're talking, this was a Jewish audience, and that verb to know isn't just some kind of like Wikipedia type of knowledge, but it's a deep, personal, interrelated knowledge that God has that kind of love for us. We come to know him. And, you know, the whole squabble about uh, justification between Protestants and Catholics, I think in many ways boils down to the fatherhood of God. Because if you look at a Protestant book on justification, it's a courtroom. God's yeah. a judge. And there's, I, I don't deny that aspect, the judicial aspect. But a true Catholic book on justification is the prodigal son. It's a family room. And God's a father. And uh, he chooses to bestow love on us and make us his children. And because his family doesn't, it's not robots, he has to allow love. He has to allow for prodigal sons. And, you know, the whole course of human history, God wants this large family and, uh, yeah. you know, the Lenten prayer that I've been praying, you know, God doesn't want anyone to perish. You know, he's a good father, but at the same time, he doesn't want robots. And so I don't know how the eternal decrees work anymore. I had it all figured out 30 years ago, Marcus, <laughs> but it's gone now. All I do know, though, is that God's a father and anybody listening to this wondering about it, it doesn't have to wonder. You can open this, and, and there's, there's a, a, an ability in the Word of God to speak through the centuries to any person 
uh, and I'm not talking about kind of mystical uh, through the ceiling kind of voice, but speak to the very depths of your being. And as you respond to that, that's what faith is. It's just a, a, a response that God has, in fact, as a father, truly loved you and he's given his only begotten son, his life for you. If you respond to that, uh, life really begins. Of course, the gospel this last Sunday was about the prodigal son yes. and his father and, and the theme of that. Now, I'm going to say something. I don't know that this is kosher according to the church. I've been wrong many times before, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's something along with what you've said that I've often thought about. You're a shepherd in reality. You have sheep. Yes, and, I do. And I've had over the last 15 years, I've had several flocks. Most of mine have died or I had to get rid of them because I couldn't, I wasn't a very good shepherd. But you know, people have a, an idea about sheep, and I've learned they're not the smartest critter in the drawer. Um, but I, I've kind of had this idea that when I look at the, the, the growth of God's people throughout salvation history, that there was a time in the Old Testament when most of God's people thought themselves more as servants to a God. And then in time, the idea of being sheep to a shepherd and Jesus continued using that imagery of sheep, shepherds and sheep, and even to Peter to feed them. But it seemed to me that the reality as Christians, that we, don't, we aren't to think of ourselves as slaves to God, or even to sheep to a shepherd, but as sons to a father. I mean, that really is the trajectory and the maturity of understanding our relationship with God. We're not just sheep, we're sons to a father. And that becomes that theme for us understanding what it means as Christians and how we should understand our relationship to our loving God. I, I think I would, of course, my uh, understanding of sheep is just on the rise. I mean, because, you know, all these <laughs> hymns and verses. And, oh, I know, you know, I know. Moses was caring for sheep. David was yep. caring for sheep. Jesus, uh, the good shepherd. Uh, I would look at it this way. I mean, the the attachment in a sense that uh, I think it's very easy, particularly, you know, apart from faith in Christ, to feel very alone in this world. Uh, you need a lot, you know, you need to be on your smartphone 24-7 or going somewhere or getting money or spending money or, or doing something on the treadmill. I think your book is about the treadmill, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> and in a certain sense, those things are modern distractions that keep us away from our uh, profound loneliness apart from God. And I look at the shepherd and sheep type verses and analogies as we're not alone. Very good. And, Very and, good. and, 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 uh, I really don't know what's beyond the grave. I've been to a lot of funerals and, you know, I know all the Bible verses and the theology and everything, but I really don't know. And everyone who is honest with him or herself is going to say, I'm kind of fearful of that. You know, I, I don't know. And that's when, what, 23rd Psalm, at least the funerals that I have done, I think every single funeral I've done, I've mentioned 23rd Psalm, that Christ can get you through there. But on the other hand, I think the aspect that you're saying, the sonship, that God is truly our Father, uh, yeah. boy, I'll just tell you, there's so much to that, that... Um, and, and, and you know, I was going to say, Steve, is that those images of servant right. and sheep and sons are, you know, Paul uses all of those, right? 
Yeah. You know, he's a servant. So they're all aspects of our relationship to our loving God. So, I mean, I'm totally with you on, on, uh, on the beauty of those wonderful sheep and shepherd passages. So I'm, I'm all for that. And, you know, that's a different aspect of our surrendering to God, to be a servant, um, not a slave as a, t- seeing God as a taskmaster, but we're willing servants, filial love of God. And then the, the, to me, the beauty of the sheep and shepherd images is because, because I know he loves me. He's, that, he's the kind of shepherd that you and I wish we were with our sheep, that we're there taking care of them. God's the perfect one. And so as sheep, right. we know he watches us. He guides us. He makes sure we have the pastor we need if we trust him. And, uh, and as sons, that's that maturity of it. So, I mean, all, all those are wonderful images. I think if you look too, you know, the Old Testament had shepherds that really were horrible shepherds. And that's why they were looking forward to the good shepherd. But, you know, sin, it's not God's fault. It's, it's the sin created such a disturbance in relations between ourselves and God, between ourselves and our family members, between ourselves and nations. And, you know, when we move into the new covenant, it's dramatically improved, but it's still not there yet. Because if God only had perfection, you and I would be having this conversation. (laughs) We we would be out of business because, you know, we're moving towards that perfection. And we will have a new heavens, a new earth where things will be in harmony. But, uh, you know, the new covenant has dramatically done it. And and the from what I've seen, you know, in Romans, I I see Romans – a lot of people go off on, you know, abstract doctrines. But to me, the center of it was a difference between the Jewish uh, Christians and the Gentile Christians. They had been separated. Caesar kicked all the Jewish Christians out of Rome for a decade, and they came back. And it's, it was almost like an interracial <laughs> congregation in the 50s or something in the Deep South. It was, <laughs> And so St. Paul had to have a hook. How do we unite these people? And to me, it's Romans 5, 5. It's God's love. The Father's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In other words, hey, guys, you're fighting with your sibling because God's your father of Jewish Christians, of Gentile Christians. So I don't know how I got off on that, but uh, that's that's a verse that's really been with me. Well, again, you brought it around with God's love. You know, uh, uh, Apologetically, I think we're going to need to close this session and we'll have to save the other verses for another time. I'd love to have you back tomorrow, you know, but (laughs) I'm thinking as you talk there, Steve, as we close, not only remind the audience of your website and such, but I know you've done a lot of talks. It almost sounds like what you've just talked about is a theme of a talk. Do you have a CD or a tape or a talk that deals with this very issue? Yes, actually, this has been pervading a lot of things I've done. I would say there's one uh, CD I have if you want to get just an introduction. It's called uh, something regarding your merciful father. And we'll stick it up on the website so you can find it at dads.org or just send an email to mail, M-A-I-L, at dads.org and just say, hey, I'd like some stuff on what Steve's been talking about. I'm writing a book on it too. Excellent. And then also I've done a, a CD series. It's called How to Have a Personal Relationship with God, Finding It and Passing It On. It's primarily through the family it's a transformative Catholicism where God's love transforms you. And that's what we need to make us equipped to live in the 21st century. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. 
Thank you, Marcus. I, I hope I can have you back soon because uh, just the friendship, but also it's a lot of fun doing this kind it of scripture good. stuff. Thank you. Thank you, and thank all of you for joining us on this episode of Deep in Scripture. Again, our website is chnetwork.org, and you can find us on Facebook or Twitter. Next week in the program, Jim Anderson will be joining me. We'll try and answer some of your emails. And then in two weeks, Kimberly Hahn will join me on Deep in Scripture. Thank you for joining us. God bless. Look forward to being with you again next week.